This right here is the Twibby Larry. You are now listening to Twib FM. Real talk, real awesome. Finally, I'm finally free. Finally, I'm finally me. Finally, I'm finally free. Welcome, welcome, welcome to the Black Girl Nerds Podcast. My name is Jamie. I am your host. Thank you for tuning in tonight. Uh, We have an amazing guest. His name is Eric Dean Seaton. He is the writer and the creator of The Legend of the Montemagi, and he's going to talk to us about his new comic book. He's also a TV director, so we'll ask him a few questions about his career in TV directing. I also have my co-host, Connie, here. And Hello. she'll hi Connie. <laughs> <laughs> um, this is her first time with the BGM podcast. Yay! Yay! <laughs> so Connie is here to also um, ask our our guest questions. And please, if you want to join in, um, you can do a few things. You can use that hashtag on Twitter. It's BGM Podcast that puts you into the feed with several other Twitter users that are listening live. You can ask questions. You can leave comments there. You can also go to twib.fm forward slash live. There is a chat room in there where you can chat with other TWIB users. And the phone lines are open, so if you did want to call in and ask questions, you can certainly do that. And the phone number for TWIB, which for some reason I don't have it in front of me. Uh, but... The number is uh, 718-404-9320. Uh, that's 718-404-9320. Yay, Aaron saves the day. Woohoo! <laughs> 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 All right, that's the number to call in for, for TWIB if you um, want to ask our guest any questions. So um, before we get started, I want to just send out some shout-outs and make some announcements, and then I'll toss it over to Connie to introduce herself. Uh, thank you, yesterday. Yesterday was a pretty phenomenal day for us. We did a live tweet of The Last Dragon, the epic 1985 film starring Timac and Vanity. Um, that went off and Twitter blew up. We actually had Timac himself live tweet with us. Thank you for coming on to do that. Thank you to The Last Glow on Twitter for getting Timac to tweet with us. And everybody that was involved, Geek Soul Brother was there um, at Black Girl Geeks who helped me kind of coordinate and said, hey, you need to do this and kept pushing me to, to host this live tweet. Thank you, Deandra Powers for that. And um, all of you guys that participated, it was a great live tweet. And uh, look out for more in the future after Gem Live Tweet ends, which we will be doing a podcast after that ends. Uh, myself, Candace Frederick, and Kimberly Renee, who are the creators behind Gem Live Tweet, we are going to be launching an 80s movie live tweet where it's going to be on a biweekly basis. And we'll start that next year. So, a lot of fun movies um, to come. And, um, you know, Bring your nostalgia with you because that's what always makes these events so much fun. So thank you guys for supporting that. And 
you can always support us in other ways. We have blog ads on the site where you can purchase ad space. We also have a store called zazzle.com forward slash blurgasm where you can purchase products in our store. Um, and for all of you guys that have hit that donate button and donated to us, thank you so much. It's always appreciated when you donate to blackgirlnerds.com. And um, we work very hard to keep this site updated to keep the maintenance going and to really give you some really great fresh new content each and every day so thank you for that so i'm going to toss the virtual mic over to connie connie if you mm. don't mind just introduce yourself tell us where you're from what you've been up to any current projects that you're working on as well mm. as social media shout outs oh okay um i'm connie i'm kind of terrible at talking about myself but i can come up with some things um i'm from new york so i'm here um, where it's very, very cold <laughs> out here. And um, I'm just a lifelong black girl nerd and um, <laughs> follower of the community on Twitter at Constar24. Um, I do a lot of, I love television. And so I do a lot of um, sort of TV recaps on different sites on a site called TV Overmind and the Nerds of Color. So, and um, I went to Comic-Con for Black Girl Nerds. So I do some um, writing for that site too. So I'm just trying to, you know, get my writing legs um, in the, you know, get my feet in the door and, and figure out what I want to do with my life in terms of probably something television related. So I'm very excited to be here and to be on this podcast. And I'm very excited and nervous and woo. It's yes. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry. I get nervous every week doing this and I've been podcasting for over a year and I still get nervous and my words still get jumbled up and I say a lot of uhs and ums all the time. So <laughs> Yeah, please, nerd please. And introvert problems. Nerd and yeah, introvert problems. exactly. <laughs> nerd and introvert problems all day long. All right. So I'm going to introduce our guest. Eric Dean Seaton was born in Cleveland, Ohio. After graduating from Ohio State University, Eric moved to Hollywood and climbed the assistant director ladder on such series as Living Single and The Jamie Kennedy Experiment. In 2004, Eric made his professional directing debut on Disney's channel's top-rated uh, excuse me top-rated sitcom that's so raven and as an episodic director he has helmed over 38 different shows 195 episodes of television 18 music videos and two pilots for nickelodeon this fall eric debuted his graphic novel series the legend of the montemaggi please welcome eric dean seaton to the show hey how you guys doing good good <laughs> thank you so much for coming on no appreciate thank you that. for having me really appreciate it so for our listeners that have not yet heard of The Legend of the Montemagi, can you give us a brief summary of what the story is about? And am I pronouncing that correctly? You are Legend of the Montemagi. That's exactly how you say it. Uh, Legend of the Montemagi is a tale, epic tale of the shallow, conceited assistant district attorney of New York. So it could be a true story. Who, uh, who finds out he's the last in a race called the Mantamaji, who used to protect us from the forces of evil. So he's the last possible person you'd ever want to be a hero, is forced to defend us against an evil sorcerer who's been resurrected in New York City and is posing as a religious leader. It is a uh, three-book uh, series. Uh, book one came out on October 8th. Book two comes out December 10th. And book three comes out February 11th. And each book is over 200 pages, uh, full of twists and turns and uh, action-adventure and uh, flashbacks and a really good story. Were you into comic books growing up? And if so, which ones were you a fan of? Uh, oh, my gosh. So I grew up uh, – my dad – 
uh, he lived in Cleveland, but he worked out of town, so he would come uh, home on the weekends, and he would take me to a coffee shop where they would have comic books. So every week, every Saturday, I would go with him and get comic books and hang out in his car all day, and I laugh about this now because um, I'd be in the car with the windows up, which is uh, probably a no-no, <laughs> uh, but um, I'd be reading comic books. I loved uh, Teen Titans, X-Men, um, Fantastic Four, uh, and the Avengers, actually. Uh, were, my, were my four favorites. Okay, since you read the X-Men, because that was my book growing up, who's mm -hmm. your favorite X-Man? Uh, it would have to be, well, X-Woman. It would be uh, Storm. And oh! I can tell you this, but I, and my favorite storyline would be uh, the when she lost her powers. And oh, yeah. she was in the uh, sewer system with the, um, is it the Morlocks? I forgot Callisto. the name. Uh, yeah, and Colossus. I liked Colossus, too. Oh, nice. Yeah, he nice. was my, yeah, he was my, yeah. But, so he was my male favorite. She was my female favorite. Awesome. awesome. Right. Toss it over to you, Connie. Great. Um, so as a television director, how has being in TV inspired your comic storytelling? Uh, every Everything I've learned about storytelling is pretty much from television and mm -hmm. um, the flawed character, the twists, the, mm -hmm. um, you know, the, the character growth. And and the one thing with TV versus movies, TV is is all about characters. If you remember mm -hmm. the end of Lost, the way they ended Lost, it was I don't know if they ever really answered all the questions, but it came down to just <laughs> being about it just being about the characters. Um, yeah. So yeah, and everything we do every on a weekly show is about you know does the character show growth, you know the, you know what does the character learn, and and the best characters are always the flawed characters, the the person who's not perfect, the person that people can relate to. Mm -hmm. um, also, um, you know even in writing the the graphic novels, every chapter is like an act and it's like a cliffhanger. So everything has yeah. a cliffhanger and, 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 and twist. You know, each, each book, uh, every, every end of every book has a big, big, giant twist. It does. Um, it's <laughs> you to the next book. Yeah, it's actually true. Yep. Yes, I was yeah. very excited to read all three of them. And there are definitely lots of twists and turns that I was not expecting. And that really propelled the story forward. So the, it was very much, you know, television in that way. I really enjoyed that. Oh, um, yeah. Um, as a TV director, um, you're usually working on, you know, creating a vision that other people have created um, mm -hmm. and you're just um, pushing that forward. How is it to have this level of control over the story you were telling? Um, I, you know, the, the easy answer would be say it'd be super freeing, but I, you know, I actually like working with people as a TV director. You, you love the collaborative thing because uh, even as a director, half the thing of directing is just like acting, listening, so mm -hmm. people can add stuff. But being by myself, I actually found because I do so much television, I had to, I had to, I had to remind myself I don't have a budget. I could go there. <laughs> uh, like, like even book one. Book two is much more. There's much more th big fantastical mm -hmm. uh, things in book two than book one. Is maybe like you know the origin story and how do you tell it and when and and keeping everything, trying to keep it you know grounded even though it's a fancy story. Uh, but it, but I kept reminding myself as the book went on, especially when you get to book three, go there. You know you don't have to you don't have to worry about a budget. You don't have to uh, fit this in a certain amount of hours. So let mm -hmm. loose. Um, yeah. So I would I would say that would be the the, the biggest difference. But I tell you this, um, making the book is just like directing because of the story boarding and writing a story. Mm -hmm. uh, publishing is the farthest thing in the world from directing I've ever done in my life. <laughs> um, um, just, uh, you know, how many books you distribute and where to send them and packaging and uh, all that stuff is just like, I, it, we finished the books in, uh, in May 
And as soon as just the publishing part came over, um, yeah, that became hard. But conventions and talking to you guys, stuff like that, that's like directing, that's fun again. So it goes from, you know, every morning I'm doing something before I go to work with the books, which is just like tedious and hard, and then I go direct and have fun all day, to then coming back and doing stuff with the books. So it goes back and forth. Yeah. Cool. So um, I want to know more about your experience in TV. You worked on Fox's Living Single and Disney's That's So Raven. How did you get your start in television? All right. So my story is, is when I was, I will say this, it's very, it's going to sound crazy and it's, but, but there's a, there's a moral to it. And it's just the moral is probably being prepared and I'll be ready. I actually was from Cleveland, Ohio, as, I, as you said, and I, I wrote Bill Cosby a letter. Um, saying there were no jobs. And, and I wasn't asking him to be like a comedian or anything. I was like, you work with directors, you know, um, I would like to, you know, have some information about directors. And I mailed the letter to his agent, and the agent gave it to him, and I ended up doing an internship on The Cosby Show. Um, wow. So I got to, and the last season of the show, so I had to see all these great directors. And then went to Ohio State, graduated, and then just worked my way up as a uh, PA on different shows. A Living Single actually was the was Wayans Brothers and then Living Single and became an AD on Living Single. And then, you know, there's a, on, t- on TV shows and movies, there's a second, second AD, a second AD, and a first AD. And mm. obviously the first is the highest. And luckily I yep. became a first pretty fast on um, In the House with LL Cool J. And then nice. I did Smart Guy. And then, I, but all those shows, they were, you know, they were like, well, you know, if you if the show comes back, maybe we'll give you the opportunity to do that. Um, mm. At three straight years, whatever show I was on got canceled. Yikes. So oh, I was wow. like, what doesn't get canceled? Uh, mm. What do they really, and kid shows, they always give, you know, they always give it a, they give it a full run. They, you know, at least they build an audience and, and stick with it. And they were starting Raven, which was Disney's first, um, Disney Channel's first sitcom. And so I chased that job down like six months and uh, ended up getting it. And um, they hired a lot of wonderful directors and all that. But the shows were so big, it was the first one they were doing with the stunts and the effects and all that type mm-hmm. of stuff. It was, it was hard, and I was always helping out. So eventually they asked me did I want to direct and mm-hmm. start directing. And like on my third episode, I got nominated for an Image Award and wow. just kept directing from then. And, and then I just decided... Um, I wanted to do it full time, and and uh, right, I decided I wanted to do it full time uh, four weeks before the, the writer strike. <laughs> <laughs> wow! So I had took a whole another year, uh, but then right after that, I got Sunny with the Chance with um, Demi Lovato, and then everything changed, and it just took off from there. So I I've done some work as a second AD and a first AD myself. Mm-hmm. Did you were you ever told as a second AD that there was no sitting down? that your job as a second AD is to be the first one on set and then the last one to leave? Or was I just being duped? Because that's what I was always told. <laughs> that's 100% true. Yeah. Okay. I don't know about the no sitting down. Um, you're really not. I mean, but that's 100% true that you are the first one there and usually the last one out. Yeah. And um, and then, you know, on TV, the ADs can't stand next to each other. One needs to be on one side of the stage right. and one needs to be on the other. Mm. Uh, it's a It's a hard job. It's a fun job. I will say... If you were the second AD, it's not it's not like directing. The first AD and the second second is like directing. Second AD is paperwork and 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 hard work and getting actors and all that. So um, maybe you were doing that job, yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was. Funny thing was, I was a really good second second because it was like blocking background and being creative. And I was a really good first. I was not a good second AD. <laughs> I just I got See, lucky. And it was the opposite for me. I was. A good second AD, I was terrible as a first AD because you have to wrangle the actors and you have mm-hmm. to make sure that everybody's on time and you have to have a very, you know, assertive and, 
you know, aggressive sort of personality for that because mm-hmm. people have to listen to you. And, mm-hmm. and I wasn't that good at doing that. Oh, <laughs> but funny thing was, I was the exact opposite. When it was time for the paperwork and I don't have the best handwriting, um, that's where you, yeah, it, that was, that was the hard stuff for me. But luckily I only had to do it for like a year and a half and uh, I had a really nice first and then he left and I got to be the first son in the house. So um, I never looked back up to that point. And thank goodness. <laughs> <laughs> So I'm going to take it to Twitter. We have a question from Shannon in Houston. She said she would love for you to talk about Cleveland and the art scene there as well as its influence. She's a Cleveland school arts grad. Wow. Well, I haven't been there in a while, but I lived close to Coventry and uh, which is, I don't know at the time, I don't know if it's, I think it still is probably very artsy area. Um, The funny thing is, Everybody's from Cleveland. All the artists, writers, creators, directors, if you look up or from Ohio in general, it's a place that's really blooming with a lot of talented people. Um, it's just weird that everybody has to leave to actually, you know, really get that, you know, to get that, that notoriety and all that. But it, it's a very, very talented place. As far as, like, specifically what's going on in the art scene there, um, I, I really don't know specifically. Um, but I would say um, for anybody from Cleveland, um, I'm – perfect example is if you have a dream yeah um, where you live right now should not deter you in any way nice which has been more challenging directing tv shows or creating comic books uh oh directing tv shows you're in charge of 100 to 150 people every week yeah um and then you're actually not the final say because there's an executive producer there's people over you um, yes, like all these actors you have to deal with and everything. I mean, the the hardest part about creating a comic book is um, it doesn't have an image of Marvel or a DC name on it. Is getting the word out and getting people to um, give it a shot. Um, but which is also hard to you know people give you a shot directing. But in terms of like uh, running a show, it, um, it's a lot of work. But it's but if you love doing it, it's nothing nothing more fun. Awesome. Yeah. Um, as a director of a lot of um, family and children's programming um, and the way that Legend of the Mantimagi is sort of family-friendly and family-oriented, do you feel that that family-friendly stuff is harder or easier than the sort of grittier stuff that we're sort of, with a lot of comic books these days, they want to make the story dark and edgy and things like that. Do you feel like one is harder than the other in, order, in terms of creating the story? Um, it's much harder to do things where you can't cuss <laughs> and you can't show blood. <laughs> Uh, you can't be extremely graphic. Um, mm-hmm. and, um, if you, like, if you know, your listeners want to write for TV and they want to write kids, uh, family program, the kids show with Nickelodeon, mm-hmm. oh my gosh, the amount of rules and the things that you could, can't do, it's incredible. Um, wow. I think, I think those writers are extremely talented, um, mm-hmm. in terms of trying to put together something where you can't make a certain gesture with your hands because mm-hmm. it's offensive in a different country. Right. Or, you know, you can't, uh, um, like I said, you can't cuss and all that. But and on the other side, people that write shows like Homeland, they're geniuses. You know, the fact that they can really get into the drama and really get into the level of the performances and, and you can just sell something um, with your eyes or with a look. Um, you can't do that um, on kids shows and family entertainment. You kind of have to lay it out a little more. Mm-hmm. People have to talk out loud a little more. Yeah. Say what they're about to do a little more, you know, a little more. The, the, when the act break starts, they, the first, if you listen, watch a, watch a kid's show and watch the start of the next act. The, in the first three sentences, they repeat exactly <laughs> what, the, what the cliffhanger is. 
Yeah. So you know, as we were talking about. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's like I don't know. I feel so. I mean, I just did one of my favorite shows, Austin and Allie, and it's a fantastic, fantastic episode. And and in the episode, each act started with repeating exactly what happened in the act before <laughs> the first three lines. But you have to. You know what I mean? You have to mm-hmm. let people know. You know, and that can be are. challenging too, in terms of be- being a writer and sort of doing that as, f- you know, as seamlessly as possible without making it overtly obvious that, oh, yeah, hey, this yeah. is a recap. It's just uh-huh. you know trying to smooth it in a little bit more. <laughs> right. Oh, but it's weird because now that I'm doing both, because I've done a bunch of adult shows now, mm-hmm. it, they, they both fight different animals. Like you know, with, mm-hmm. with adult shows, it, everything has to be more real, and and you can't do an episode where cactus are, are growing on the ceiling. <laughs> where in a kid show, you could do an ex- episode where a character. Sometimes it's funny to be in a meeting um, in a kid show because I actually did an episode of a show called Dog with Blog a couple of years ago, and um, they had an episode where cactus were on the ceiling. And, but no, and, and the thing was, nobody made, no, nobody said, okay, there's going to be cats on the ceiling. Okay, turned the page, went to the next thing. Like, nobody was like logically like, wait, what? And then, and, and then the very next week, I went to Atlanta, and I got to work with Tracy Ellis Ross, who was just such a sweet person, and did Read Between the Lines. And um, there was a scene where she had to, uh, she was going to her office, and her assistant um, was in the elevator before her. And we had a they, on set. There was a 15-minute conversation about why would her assistant be in the office before her? Because this is New York, and the sister wouldn't have as much money, so she would have took the subway and blah blah blah. And finally, I said, "Can we just start the scene in the elevator?" And everybody was like, "Okay," but we never <laughs> answered the question. Way. You know, the question was never answered. <laughs> wow. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Amazing. Um, for Legend of the Mantamaji, is there a particular uh, mythos you've drawn from? I know that there's a lot of use of the Ankh in the um, in the artwork and in the um, weapons that they use. So, is there a particular um, you know mythology that you've drawn from to create this story? Yeah, um, I did a lot of research. I read a book called Stolen Legacies, uh, mm-hmm. which is about how everything came from Africa. Mm-hmm. Um, another book, Ancient Egypt, and um, uh, to be honest, I just have a really big imagination. So yeah. all the things you see, like the Ankh and everything, um, where Utopia is, is in the Valley of the Kings, like everything is real in a real place. Mm-hmm. And then I, my thing is I like to take a spin, on, uh, a different spin on whatever is real. So yeah. the whole – it's funny, too, because I uh, – there's a guy that bought the books, and um, he obviously wasn't African-American, and he didn't know much <laughs> about that history. He didn't really know what an was. He goes, I thought everything was real, like some history I didn't know about. <laughs> I was like, oh. no. Yeah. It was, it was <laughs> I was flattered and scared at the same time. <laughs> so, uh, but, yeah, so, yeah, it's, I just have a – see, that was the thing is, like, I have to be honest, it's, it's kind of – he's a superhero. So at the yeah. end – that genre has been done by some really, really smart people for a long, long, long time. Mm-hmm. So what I did, I actually listed all the great heroes that I liked and, and stuff and what their powers and their weakness and their rules were. And then uh, for everything, I tried to, uh, like Spider-Man, you know, nerdy, so I said, oh, he can't be a, my guy can't be a nerd. You know, I tried <laughs> to do something opposite of everything that you've seen. Right. Uh, yeah. But the difference was, in the whole story, the difference was once, I came up with the name Mantamaji, which is a derivative of man magic in Italian. Um, once I came up with the word Mantamaji, and once I said that's his race, mm-hmm. um, it made everything make sense. Like it just changed everything. Yeah. Because then he wasn't putting on a costume. That body armor wasn't like a costume. Like, mm-hmm. you know, why is this guy putting on a costume? You know, the name of him meant something. It meant something to him because that's his heritage. Um, it just it just changed, you know, like that's the race that they came from. That once we, I grounded that and made that, that changed the whole. That that was that opened up everything. Everything made sense after that to me. Awesome. Yeah. 
how have readers responded to the story? Do you have an idea of who your target audience is? Are they young, middle-aged, men, women? Um, extremely well. I, I mean, people really, really like the book, and it's across the gambit. Like, kids love the art. Like, those, when they like, walk by the booth and we're at a comic mm-hmm. convention, and they're like, ooh, what's this? Um, and they'll just they'll snatch it up. Uh, adults like that it's different. Um, a lot of, you know, it's weird, like, and I can be honest because you know, what we're talking about, black on there, like, a lot of black people will try to walk by. I don't, I don't think they're used to a black graphic novel or a black independent book, or they, or maybe in the past some books haven't panned out, um, and they do a double take, and then, but once they come to the booth, um, they're totally, they're totally in. Like, are surprised and are in, and once you give them the pitch and they buy book one, they end up always loving it. But what I found is that, and this is the part that I'm really proud of, is that, um, it's the same um, for the um, for non-African Americans. The white people are really, really enjoying enjoying the book and uh, and giving it a shot. And and everybody's the same thing. Everybody's looking for something different. Um, and it's definitely different. Like they want something different. Um, and then they're they're seeing it. And then when they read it, it feels different. Uh, so I think I'm doing really good across the gambit. You know, it's just um, it's just surprising. The catch is to get people to actually buy it, to actually do it. <laughs> yeah. You know, no, I mean, I, I've been on the, the Twitter feeds when everybody's complaining about Black Panther and right. all this other stuff and complaining we don't have heroes. And I'm like, well, yeah, you're complaining, but do you really want another hero? Or do you just want to wait for the two big, the big two to make, to make your hero? Yeah. You know? So, yeah. and it's funny too, because I read the last one when they announced the Black Panther movie, which I'm actually excited and can't wait for it to come out. Somebody said Cyborg, we're talking about the Cyborg movie, they said, well, Cyborg's new. Um, I read Teen Titans. Cyborg is a 39-year-old character. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. You know, I I have the first book he ever appeared in, like, in my garage. Yeah. He's not new. So sometimes I have to question, I mean, you know, I have to wonder, and not for me to question, but I have to wonder, do people really want to try new things? Because they say they do, but then they don't. And we've gotten all good reviews on Amazon, so... Not that Amazon's the end of all, but, you know, we've all gotten all good reviews, so give it a shot, you know? Um, yeah. You're really going to like it, you know? I think, so. too, with the, the cyborg thing is that it's new to them because of mm-hmm. Teen Titans. Right. I don't think a lot of people knew about cyborg prior to Teen Titans, and now DC is kind of touting them, touting cyborg around as their new black superhero and kind of putting him on the same parallel as Black Panther. Right. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I, I think that, it's important to open up and, you know, sort of expand your horizons when it comes to black superheroes, because we right. always focus on the big 10 um, as opposed to just looking at other, especially independent comic book yep. artists that are putting out really great characters and saying, Oh, well, this is a, a character I should start looking at, or this is a new book that I should be reading. Um, Cause it's not always about the big, you know, publishers, Marvel and DC. There's a lot there's a ton of comic book publishers out there, and um, and that's why I wanted folks like you on our podcast because I, I really feel like this story is something that can be appealing to so many people, and if they just read it and give it an opportunity, they'll be like, oh, wow, this is refreshing. This is something new that I'd like to look at. Yeah, it, it, it doesn't take away from you still going to see Black Panther or Bias Cyborg. Right. It doesn't. Mm-hmm. You, you're sitting there waiting for one movie that's coming out in 2020 and another one that's coming out in 2018 <laughs> right. 2014. <laughs> And the funny While thing you're is, waiting, you can yeah, get funny thing is, Legend of, one of them have a month. I Tell me if I'm wrong, but I don't think neither one of them have a monthly book right now. I don't think there's a Black Panther monthly book. I don't think. I don't, I don't, yeah, I don't know if, I don't think he's actively, yeah. 
No, there will be. I mean, yeah, there I'm, will be. Yeah, there, there definitely will be. But you yeah, know, I mean, I've been yeah. reading all of the old Black Panther right now. I'm, I'm reading. Wow. Um, uh, oh gosh, wow, his name escapes me right now. But um, Reggie. Oh, didn't he do a good job? Hudlin. Really Hudlin. Good job. Yeah, I'm reading. Yeah, Hudlin he did a good. He made people mad when uh, when uh, Black Panther beat up Captain America. He made, <laughs> <laughs> he, made he did a great job. He did a yeah. great job. Yeah. 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 So, but yeah, we, we definitely have to, and, and that's why I'm inspired too by um, folks on Twitter that are creating uh, chats like Black Comics Chat, which I believe you are going to be a part of soon, if you yes. haven't been so already. Okay. Um, which is great because it's really opening the door to talking about all of these independent comics that are out with these great characters. I mean, I, I wasn't put on to genius until I started hearing from other artists that were creating um, these great comic books. Um, so I'm, I'm really glad that you're on the show and I'm glad that we're continuing this discussion because just talking about Black Panther and, and Storm and, and Cyborg, yes, they're great. Yes, they've got a lot of visibility, but there's a ton of other comic book characters out there to talk about. I know. Um, I know. So, yeah. Since you've had a ton of directing experience, would you mm -hmm. ever create a film adaptation on this comic? Funny you ask that. Because starting <laughs> on Monday, we are going to be, and I'm, I think I might uh, chronicle it on the Internet and Twitter and YouTube so people can follow it. We're going to shoot a three-minute short, a live-action short of the graphic novel. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah, awesome. we're going to do the, the, my next Monday is the mold casting. Um, so I'm going to, I'll take some pictures and I'll, you'll really get to see how they do molds, like, of the costume. Like, it literally, you'll see, uh, this guy, stunt guy's going to do it named Michael Phelps. He's a really good guy. He's from England, oddly enough. Um, he's going to play the Mantamaji and he, we, we're going to put a, a cast over him, like all this plaster. And he has oh. just two holes for his nose to breathe and one for his <laughs> mouth. And it takes, it's like a four hour process and we do the mold of his head and his, uh, chest. And we're gonna, uh, build this, um, this, uh, costume and then we're gonna shoot, basically we're gonna shoot the opening scene, uh, and the, um, and, and opening scene of book one and how it ends. Um, not wow. the, not the twist, but how it ends. You know, <laughs> yeah. yeah that, you um, give away the twist. Not giving away the twist. <laughs> it's too but, good. No, never giving away the twist. And by the way, please don't give away the twist. <laughs> but, uh, I, yes, I, but, I um, we're going to, yes, we're going to shoot a three minute, uh, which is, you know, it's going to be, it's big. Uh, it's going to be hard to do too on a limited budget. But um, if it comes out right, it should be uh, it should be a great little promotion for the book. But yes, I would love to take it into other mediums. But I say this when and I and I can honestly say this as a director, and I say this to all your your listeners: um, there's no black actor under the age of 40 uh, outside of um, Kevin Hart that can open a movie that can cost more than 20 million dollars mm. to make. Really? Nope. And I'll give you guys, I'll give your readers, I'll give your listeners, you can take all months, you'll never come up with somebody. Um, <laughs> so Kevin, and Kevin Hart is more a comedian than he is an action hero. Yeah. Uh, yes. Now, the reason what about that Will happened, Smith? Well, just, uh, Will Smith is 47 years old. What? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I, I'm, yeah. Yeah. Will Smith, Jamie. But here's, here's where it's, it, the problem really started when we stopped having um, uh, black leads on television because Will, mm, Jamie, yeah. Martin, even yeah. Denzel yes. all came from television. That's true. They all came from television. So hopefully yeah. now that there are a lot more actors, uh, uh, minority actors on television, hopefully that will change. But um, listen, listen, 
listen, they, they, when I say can open a movie, I'm saying they haven't done it. But listen, Michael B. Jordan is a fantastic actor. Uh, the guy from the original is a fantastic actor. I would be honored if one of them. They could easily do the movie. I don't think everybody knew who Chris Hemsworth was before Thor. Yeah. So um, <laughs> right. I, I'm just saying if you walk into a studio and they say, well, this movie is going to cost $40 million or $50 million, who can we get the star in it? I'm saying you know, they, there's not a list of someone they can go to. That's, that's proof that's done it before. That's what I've always kind of had a little bit of an issue with, because we forget about Thor, that Chris Hemsworth was kind of like a nobody before uh -huh. he got cast in that role, and uh -huh. why Hollywood seems so insistent upon casting these A-list actors uh -huh. to play these comic book heroes. I mean, you guys have heard me on Twitter vent about Channing Tatum being playing, Gam playing Gambit. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I just, I, I don't understand, you know, and now Ryan Reynolds is going to be Deadpool. Like, I just don't understand why Hollywood has to go the A-lister route all yeah. the time, thinking that that's a bankable option when you can choose an unknown actor and still make tons of money. Yeah. Well, I think... But listen, although he wasn't an A-list actor and it was his way back in at the time, uh, Robert Downey Jr. becoming Iron Man was, mm -hmm. you know, the yeah. catalyst. He's, they, they really went for such a good actor. And then I have to say, of the main people that you named, I think Ryan Reynolds and Channing Tatum are really good at what they do. So that could be part of it, too. And not everybody knows who Deadpool is. That's very much a comic book. Hmm. Comic book convention costume, yes. Comic yeah. book following thing, cosplay. yes. But, cosplay character. Yeah, yeah cosplay's a perfect cosplay character. But, you know, there's the average person listen, our grandparents know who Superman was or Batman or you know, or the Hulk because they're around for fifty or sixty years. Not everybody knows who Deadpool is. They will after the movie. Yeah. You know? Um but yeah, so I I don't I don't have a problem with it. it. it's more so you know, the superhero movies you used to follow what they did with Christopher Reeves. You remember Christopher Reeves when he got the original Superman wasn't, you know, nobody knew who he was. But mm. what they did, they cast Marlon Brando and they cast Gene Hackman, mm. big names to be all around it. To surround you them, know? yeah. And, that, and that's what you would probably have to, if you made Mantamaji in a movie, that's what you would probably have to do. Listen, you, you, like I said, you get Michael B. Jordan or you get uh, Charles Michael Davis or whoever you want to play it and they're such good actors and they could perfectly play the, Duality of the role of a shallow, conceited guy who you still like, and if the <laughs> movie's cool, it would make a lot of money. But if I, but if you were to walk into a studio where there's, uh, you know, bankers and accountants and all that, and they 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 list their pros and cons, then there is no African American actor, you know, under the age of forty that can open a movie that would cost more than twenty million dollars to make. Under the age of forty, wow. Yep. Wow. So, Other than Kevin Hart, he's the only one. Kevin Hart's the only one, but Kevin Hart is a comedian. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? So he can definitely do it, you know. Um, look, Morris Chestnut's in his for like all the good ones. And there's some and the thing is, you're saying these are a lot of really good actors. What's funny, what's really funny about this, when the Black Panther comes out, the guy that's the lead in Black Panther, the day the movie he'll be forty years old when the movie comes out. <laughs> right. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Bozeman, yeah. I was looking up his age because I thought he was a lot younger. Yeah. No, but he could play younger. Him. You can't tell that. Yep. Oh, he's a great actor, and he can play younger. Yes. But I'm saying, if you're just going off that stat, you know. But yeah. if if the man Tamaji wasn't black, there's a whole list of list of non African American actors under the age of forty that can open a movie that costs forty or fifty million dollars. There's a lot of, yeah. you know. So we have to even that scale. So you think that TV has a big role in why this is a problem, why we're not seeing that happening on the film side of things? Oh, absolutely, because they all came from television. 
You know, yeah. the original the original um, Bad Boys was supposed to be Martin and 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 uh, Arsenio Hall. Wow. And what? Michael Bay fought huh. for. I think it was Michael Bay. I forgot who it was, but somebody fought for Will Smith, and everybody wasn't convinced. And and, and look how look what he became. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you know, biggest star <laughs> in the world. You know. Um, so yeah, I think well because TV comes in your home. You know, we're talking about mm-hmm. open a movie. People going out to a movie, they have to spend twenty dollars. You have to get a babysitter if you're an adult. You have to do all these things. TV comes in your home. So yeah. if you start liking that person on television, mm-hmm. then yes, you you might go see them in a the movie. So I think they go hand in hand. Well, just like. You know, back when they were, you know, when they were making a lot more, well, there, there's a resurgence in African-American movies now, but in the 90s when they are making all movies, it's funny how many rappers got roles, you know, because they had an audience. They were mm-hmm. still taking people that had a following, they had an audience, you know. Uh, well, look, Will was a rapper before he became a TV star. LL Cruz was a rapper before they became TV stars. Yeah. But they were still, right. that's still taking, that's not taking an unknown, that's not taking two unknown actors off a cool idea. That's still mm-hmm. taking, you know, Will sold a million albums. You know, LL's one of the, you know, historically one of the biggest rappers of all time. Like, you yeah. know, you're still not taking unknowns, you know? Right. So, right. I don't know. What are your thoughts, because um, we had talked about Michael uh, B. Jordan, what are your thoughts yeah. about the controversy that surrounded him with Fantastic Four and him playing the role of um, Johnny Storm, which is a white character, what are your thoughts about that? Well, I, I look at it two ways. The comic book kid in me, because you know, as I said, Fantastic Four is one of my favorite comic books. Um, I just liked it as it originally was. But am I excited that they're doing that? I think it's good that they're doing it. Um, I don't have a problem with it at all. Uh, it, the real question becomes, why do they have to do it? You know, mm-hmm. because there's no other African American hero, so they feel the need to have to do it, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. he's such a good actor, I- I'm going to enjoy him as, as Johnny Storm, and, and and I don't know what the movie's about, but every time you see him on the internet, it doesn't sound like the Fantastic Four that we all grew up on. <laughs> so, if, so if it's going to be something different, then, there's, there's, then actually there should be no problem with him doing it. Um, True. You know, but it's right. just like everybody talking about the black Captain America now, or the, the female mm, right. Thor. I mean, mm-hmm. I can tell you from having created Legend of Mantabaji, and in the in the defense of all those big companies, it's very hard to create a new character, because and I've said this before, if Superman was created today, there was no Kryptonite, he could not fly, and there was no Lex Luthor, so he'd be kind of boring, right? Because that's his <laughs> weakness, that's his arch villain, and that's his big major that's his big major power. So yeah. they, if you take Captain America, who you've got a history and you already know he has a shield and you already know what his powers are, and then you just put a you put a black man on him, half the things you know you already know his major villains. You already know half the things, you know, mm-hmm. you know. You, you, so it makes it easier because with Mantamaj, you took a long time to like you know Sirak is the villain. He has to be equal or better than Elijah the hero. You know, it, it's I, the reason they're doing it is because it's just easier. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I say to everybody, if you want something original, go find something original. Mm-hmm. So I don't have a problem with them doing it. It's just not. Uh, it's just not. You know, it's not that original. They're doing it for a reason. You know? so, so one more question. I'll toss it over to Connie. Um, <laughs> with our discussion about Hollywood, I mean, for someone that's worked in the industry, do you think that Hollywood is afraid of creating new characters? Is the reason why they're so hesitant, and that they'd rather go with race swapping or gender swapping? I mean, what what's the motive behind just having a black Johnny Storm or having a female Thor with, on the comic publishing side, why is Hollywood so hesitant to open up to new characters and have stories like The Legend of Montemaggi 
essentially become like a film or even a TV series? Money. Uh, <laughs> Shorter answer. Money. I know. But I mean, because it's branding. Um, as I said before, we, you know, before we talked, Marvel just had a movie this summer with a, a talking tree and I mean a giant tree and a talking <laughs> raccoon. Now, would you have gone to see that movie if it wasn't a Marvel movie? It, 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 if you take all that stuff, if you take Marvel off of it, that was Serenity. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? It was Firefly, basically, you know? Yeah. Um, so it, that's part of the problem. Like, it, it's, it's just branding and, and marketing and how you can sell this, this property. How do you grow it? You know, Iron Man, you know, Hulk, you know, Captain America, at one point they were animated series. They're 50, 60 years old. You know, there's very few brand new things. I mean, um, the last thing I could think of that was new from a new comic book uh, was Wanted, but you, but they ended up casting Angelina Jolie. There's not a big reference to that being a comic book, uh, and it was, you know, and it was, it was a good movie. They, you know, made like 150 million dollars. They didn't do a sequel. They didn't do anything more with it. You know, so they didn't really stick to, you know, what it, you know, what it was. They just made a cool movie out of something that was a, you know, cool comic book by a really good writer. And and went 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 from there. So I, I would say that was the, the major reason. Flying on the money. Mm-hmm. Um. So back to the um your story that you've created. Um. And we still discussed briefly earlier about um using you know real life um mythology in sort of developing this particular story. Um. Are there other sort of African myths and legends that you draw inspiration from at all? Um. And, you know, in terms of like for this or for anything else that you've got swirling around in your mind? Um. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, really like the stories of some of the things that I, that are in the book are uh, just stand. I really like Lord of the Rings, which isn't African mm-hmm. mythology and all that, but right. I wanted the epicness of the story. That's why I wanted the, the heroes to be from 3000 years ago. Yeah. I wanted to build, the whole thing for me was building a world. Um, like, you know, how can we create something that if it's 3,000 years old, there's 3,000 years of stories you can tell and, and, mm-hmm. and that type of thing. I mean, like I said, I really do have a big imagination and just kind of made everything up. But everything, the arc and, and, the, and the, the places that things take place and all that, that's all based off real stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I am working on um, the next series of books, and I am going to uh, – it's funny, I was doing some research. I am going to connect it to some, some more African-Egyptian uh, history. Of things cool. in the past, and this, and th- and the next one will probably actually be closer to um, some real things, and and my mm-hmm. spin on them. I, I might add a little something close to the original vampires, which started in Africa, something like that. Oh, yeah, yeah. nice. Without without that. giving too much away. <laughs> <laughs> and that's going right? to be a graphic novel. It will. It'll be the next series of the Legend of Mantamaja. I, I kind of want to, you know, continue the story um, oh, and find out what them because um without you know. Um, the first book is really about him and his journey, but as you, if you've read book two and book three, you see it's not just him, it's Cornerstone and Sydney mm-hmm. and the Sanctuaries, and mm-hmm. they survived. So all the ladies take a big, big presence in the next series. Um, and that was important for me too. Uh, actually one of the most important things outside of building him was that Sydney be equal to him. Um, yeah. I did not want the damsel in distress. I did not want the weak female characters. Uh, I wanted the exact opposite. Yeah, she definitely holds her own. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That yeah. was really important. Uh, so you're saying that the the sort of next um, novel idea you have in your head is in set in this world. Yes. In the same universe. Yes. Cool. Yes. I think I want to stay in the same universe for a while. Yeah. Um, I mean, it, you know, because one thing it took six years to make the books. 
Wow. Uh, so that, that I've been in that world for six years. So mm-hmm. there's so many other extra ideas I came along with that I kept saying, no, 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 stay focused. Stay focused. <laughs> you know, get back on track. So yeah. I actually kind of want to flesh some of those things out. Mm-hmm. Um, and I found, um, I, you know, from the female readers, they, they asked me about the sanctions. They want to know so much more about them. Yeah. Um, so I, I kind of want to get into that. And from the hero world, I want to see if you can tell us, the, you know, like the first Matrix was great. He became the hero. Right. And the second and the third Matrix weren't that good because, you know, you don't really know what to do once you're a hero. <laughs> I think I've found a way, I want to see if I can pull this off, to the next part of the hero story. Because stories are always better. Once a guy becomes the hero, uh, if he survives, like a ruined, you know, he could die at the end of this series. But, you know, you are, you know if, what's next? You know, how do they handle being a hero? Mm-hmm. You know, um, which isn't easy. Yeah. 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 Uh, that's all very cool. Um, are there, you talked about this briefly earlier in terms of um, wanting to flip the, you know, the stories that you read as a kid, those comic book stories. You wanted to flip those um, tropes. In mm-hmm. terms of, um, well, you know, making him a Montemaggi, like that's his race and that turns him into a different kind of hero than putting on a cape and stuff. Are there other um, tropes like that that you pay homage to or wanted to twist when making this story? Yes. Uh, did you guys ever watch Buffy or Angel? Mm-hmm. Yes. Um, the last page of the last book is an mm-hmm. homage to Angel. Oh, I've got to um, go back and look at that again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The last two pages, Elmash. If you think of how, if you think of Angel, uh, I can't. You know, the last two pages uh, are homage to the end of Angel. Um, the cult, Batman, the cult. The reason Sirac the cult leader is, um, I love Jim Starlin as a kid. His writing, I loved Dreadstar. I loved everything Jim Starlin. Um, he became a, a cult leader because of Batman, the cult. It's a really good graphic novel series uh, that came out that he wrote. Um, I loved Teen Titans, so Brother Blood, as in Brother Hope. Uh, um, and I'm trying to think what else. Uh, and just the flawed heroes, like really from all the TV shows I've done. Like, you know, that that's, you know, as it, it, silly as it is, Raven, the whole thing of Raven is she would get a vision and then she would do something wrong. Like all she'll do is not do, and, and we used to laugh about it. Like, just don't do what your vision said you were gonna do. But she, I mean, she was always she was self-centered. She was just a flawed character, but people mm-hmm. loved her. She was yeah. she was what made that show go. Um, and so yeah, so just I mean, I know that it's a kid show, but it's still the same thing. The flawed character. Even I, the, I had I did a show called Undateable for NBC last year. I had so much fun. And the lead guys, uh, Undateable. You know, and the lead and Chris D'Elia, who's this amazing comedian like he's the lead he's the flawed character like he's this you know handsome guy and uh but everything you know smooth and knows how to you know get with women but it's always just like just like can't have friends like just always messes up you know he's he's what makes it go mm-hmm. you know so it, yeah. it, it so to say all that from a kid show to an adult show the flawed character is always the same that's what makes the story go. Uh, you know, we, we watch Homeland and she, look, Olivia Pope is flawed. She sleep with the president, <laughs> you know, among other things, know among other things. Look, as strong as that go. woman is, she, she'll break down everybody, but then he comes calling and then she, then she, you know, she, the, the lips start quivering, you know, like, so, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. you know, that's her, her kryptonite. That's yeah. her kryptonite. Yes. Everybody's got some kryptonite. That's her, yeah. you know, yeah, yeah. You know? 
Well, true. I got a question from Twitter. This is from Kaia Danielle. She's a writer. Mm-hmm. She says her comic script is almost ready. Is it better mm-hmm. to go with traditional publishers or going indie for getting it out? Um, here's what I would tell her. I I went independent and I was able to get small press booth at Comic Con San Diego, and that's where we made our big launch. If you go with a big name publisher, you can't do that. But I would say do both. Pitch it to the big name studios if that's what you want to do, because if with the with the image stamp on it, you're definitely going to get more readers right off the top. Um, if that does not work, um, don't give up on it and publish it yourself. That's what I would say. I went independent because of one reason, one reason only. Uh, well, I didn't. I never submitted it to anybody, but I worked for giant conglomerates, and they own everything. And I and just to see how they regenerate their properties and all the things that they do with their properties and that ownership. You know, when I direct a TV show, I don't own it. You know, I I wanted to be able to. I wanted to own something, and it's my thing. Right. And so that's why I did it. I did it because I've experienced not in the comic book world, but I've experienced what it's like. You know. And all the companies are great, but it's, you, you would be amazed at the many different ways that they have meetings about how they can exploit all their properties and, and, and marketing and, and video games and toys and just every little thing, you know, and control over their stories. Just because before you get to all that other stuff of ways to make money, controlling your story. Because as conglomerates, because they have all their things edged in all those different properties, there's a certain way they have to tell their stories. Their, you know, their characters can never look too bad. Their characters can never be too ugly, you know, can never do too much wrong, you know. So, it, I, you know, I tell the story myself. I can make my character do whatever I want to do, you know. Yeah. Um, as long as you keep it interesting. And I would imagine – I mean, going the big publisher route, everybody, it's ideal, right? Because that's the big payoff is when you get that big publisher money. But if you go the indie route, at least you have an opportunity to get something out there right away. You don't have to wait forever in a day to get that big break that you've been looking for and that there's right. a longer end game involved. And mm-hmm. while you're getting, which it may not be a big payoff, but while you're getting something while you're putting your content out there, you can, you know, work on other pieces of work and then put it out there to the big publisher later on. So I figure go the indie route first, then once you get some sort of return on your investment, then start, you know, touting out to the big publisher. That way at least your content's out there and then you've got something to put on a resume and you've got some sort of legitimacy as a writer, you know? Right. Was she, was it a graphic novel or a straight book? Um, She said a comic writer. She's, she's okay. got a comic, yeah. Okay, okay, okay. Because, like, what was that, Fifty Shades of Grey? That was just fan fiction based <laughs> off of uh, Twilight that she published herself. <laughs> and then they picked it up, and now, you know, she, she's huge, you know? Yeah, yeah. So, she, uh, she straight ripped up from, uh, ripped off from Twilight. Oh, yeah, I, I, haven't, I haven't read the book, but I'm, we're definitely going to go see the movie. But just the trailer looked like Twilight. Oh, movie. God. Yeah. <laughs> You're going to go see it? You're really going to pay money to go see that? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Here's the thing. Enjoy. Here's the thing. It's like this. It's like my mom is older, and when Avatar came out, she, the hype, when people hype stuff so much, you just kind of want to see what it's about. I mean, she went to see Avatar and loved it, but never never would you ever see a movie about, you know, blue people from another planet, you know? So it's kind of <laughs> like that. Like, you, you hear the hype. I never read the book. Everybody talks about it. You know, why not? You know? 
<laughs> I go the opposite way it? sometimes. Uh, sometimes I go the opposite way. If everybody's talking about it, I'm just like, eh, I don't know. Maybe not. Uh, I don't well, want to go see it. And, just because everybody's so hype about it and there's so much back and forth and a lot of that. Sometimes I'm just like, I'm just going to let you enjoy that. And then maybe like three months down the line, I'll check it out. Well, here, 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 here's, my, here's my thing. So a couple years ago at Comic-Con, James, it's funny you said Avatar. James Cameron was going to present 18 minutes of Avatar. So I'm standing in line, and, and and when you get in Hall H, there's all these women and their daughters. And I'm like, when did Comic-Con become about mothers and their daughters? So as you wait in the line, I just start talking to people, and they start telling me about this Twilight. I had never even heard of the doctor. Mm-hmm. So I get in there. They, they started – literally, I thought I could not hear after they got done screaming when that cast <laughs> came out. So I, I had to go see the movie, and I was confused in the first 20 minutes what was happening in the movie, and then I realized that was their, that was the way they were expressing teen angst, because I was like, why are these people talking to each other? Why are they just looking, making faces? Like, what is happening right now? Um, and then once I figured it out, I ended up seeing all of them. It's okay, you know. I mean, it's not, you know, it's a date night. I don't know. <laughs> I don't think I was the target audience to begin with. No, not at all. <laughs> Yeah, I've learned not to buckle under pressure when it comes to um, (laughs) hearing about, oh, this is so good, or, you know, when TV shows and talk shows and it's the hot topic of the day and you read it and you're just like, why did I spend my time reading this? Because well, good for you. Yeah. Well, good, good. Oh. Uh, I, I, I'm proud of you. That's good. But at least we have know. you, but at least we have you who, do, who does go and see it and then you can tell the rest of us whether it was worth it or not. Whether it was worth it, yeah. Yeah, no, I'm, I'm the opposite. I get sucked in and go and sometimes halfway through I'm like, okay. I, I just always say if it, it's not for me, okay, it's, this wasn't meant for me, you know, but I don't. There's very few things that I've gone to see it as just like, what the devil is going on right now? You know, I was like, but I, 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 I applaud you. Listen, you probably save a lot more money and time than I do. Let me say that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Connie, I'll toss it to you for your next question to him. Okay. Um, the, so in the um, Legend of the Montemagi, um, you use both magic and technology and, um, and, that's interesting to me just because a lot of times it's either one or the other. So is there any particular reason why you decided to combine those two together to make yes. um, the villain decide whatever he decides mysteriously, you know, no spoilers. <laughs> yes. Yes. Because back in 3000 years ago, magic was science. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, through time science kind of took over and separated itself. But if you think back, even if you think of King Arthur, uh, Merlin, who was the magician, was also literally the scientist. Mm. You know, so that, all those things, magic and science, were very much linked. Mm-hmm. Um, and so since the Matamagis were from 3,000 years ago, he, he would, you know, that would be his, that would be way, way those villains and those people would, would link stuff. And then that's how, that's how we were as a society, you know, and then in the Western world, started, you know, advancing with, with science and it, and it just kind of separated things, mm-hmm. you know, so that, that's why I ended up using both. And then it also, it falls under my list of, you know, what do you always see? You know, you, <laughs> you know, you always see yeah. it's the science thing, you know, you see interstellar and it's, you know, two hours and 50 minutes of science, you know, or, <laughs> you know, you see, you know, the, the, the magic movie and it's, uh, it's just all about, you know, these demons coming out of nowhere and all that. So I, I hear the catch. I feel when you read the books, there are rules. I, I, I mm-hmm. made myself follow rules. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't, I, 
one thing I hate is the magic story where you're all into going to, and at the end, the hero uses some sort of magic that you never even heard of, <laughs> that they never explained. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's why I gave there's rules. It is the rules are explained, and the rules never change. And nobody mm-hmm. in those books breaks the rules. Awesome. Um, and I'm going to continue to do it that way. Like I think if you set up the rules and and you put a limit on the magic, you know. Um, well, first of all, it makes it easy for people to follow. There's yeah. not that chapter of, you know, where somebody's explaining something that you never even heard of that they need to set up for the book to end. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So there's none of that. But, yeah, so that's what I did. Yeah. Awesome. That, so, that's, you know. uh, we got a question from Twitter, and then we got to wrap up soon. So yeah. the seventh Matrix, he says, would Eric consider working with Netflix since it has a reputation for quality and taking more risk than a traditional studio? I would love to work with Netflix. Um, because I come from TV, mainly the books are written in a, in a miniseries type of form. Mm-hmm. Um, they would have, you know, for a movie, it would have to be changed because there's so much story. So I would, I would jump at a chance to do a Netflix series or a summer miniseries where you could really flesh it out and and, uh, and tell a really good story. Yep. Cool. Yeah, Thanks. absolutely. Uh, any new medium, I think. The short that we're going to shoot, I think we're going to do something maybe digitally. I think, and I encourage everybody, anything new, go for it. Disney Channel for me as a director was new. You know, there were many ADs on the show that were, should have directed before me on whatever show they were on. I went somewhere that was new. It was just taken off. Um, the, even the whole thing of writing Bill Cosby letter when I was in college, or high, in high school, everybody wasn't shooting digital shorts. Um, go shoot your digital shorts. You can shoot things digitally. All you need is a camera. You don't need, you know, you used to be film and lighting and right. all, and if you put it on VHS, you know, it would look bad. You knew the yep. difference. Now you can't tell. I, I tell everybody, if there's anything new you can try, try it. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's be, and, and I just, and I, I can tell you that it'll, if you go to, if you, when you go through the new door, there's not as many people and what right. you're doing will shine a lot faster. Yeah. Yes. Yep. Very true. Very true. Well, where can our listeners get a copy of The Legend of the Montemagi and find out more about any projects that you're working on in the future? Um, it's available in every format. You can go to our website, uh, Legend of the Montemagi, spelled M A N T A M A J I dot com. Um, if you go to our site and you go to the store, you'll see it's available in every format. Uh, it's available at Amazon. Uh, Digitally, iTunes, Kindle, Kobe, um, Barnes and Noble. It's available in any way you can possibly get it. I just encourage people to uh, give it a shot. We're also having a um, the book three doesn't come out until uh, February 11th, and book two doesn't come out until December 10th. But we're doing a Christmas bundle. If you want to buy all three books from our site uh, and our store, you can get them all before Christmas. Nice. Yeah, they set the order by the by the 20th, so you can get. You can get book two, which will have just come out, and you can get book three, which wouldn't come out for another two months. Oh, you can get the whole series. And if you've already bought book one, you can still do that for book two and book three. We have a book two and book three bundle before Christmas also. Nice. So, yeah. All right. Get those Christmas gifts. Now's the time to get your shopping in. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Give it a shot. <laughs> you might as well buy all three because those twists at the end, you got to get the next one to find out what happens. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> Well, thank you so much, Eric, for coming on the show. Really appreciate it. Got a lot of great information and really excited about what you're doing with this book. And hopefully it helps open the doors for other independent comic artists and writers to to create their own books and publish them. 
And I'm so honored you guys had me. I'm a huge fan and will continue to follow you guys as I, except for during scandal and any other live uh, things you were, you're ruining it for me when I'm, because I'm at work and can't watch it. So, uh, so I'm a huge, huge fan of everything you guys have done and very proud of you guys. And, uh, hope you continue and just get bigger and bigger. Hashtag lip quiver. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. And thank you, Connie, for co-hosting. This was so Did much an fun. Excellent job for your first yeah. day. Excellent yeah. job. So thank you guys yeah. for listening in. Next week, there will not be a podcast. We're taking the Sunday off for the holiday. But the following Sunday, December 7th, we will have Keith Walker. He is a cancer survivor that created a web series called Kemosabi about his life story and his experiences of dealing with being diagnosed with cancer as well as his treatment and he's going to come on to talk to us about that Latanya will be our co-host for that show so tune in december 7th again next week no podcast thanks guys for tuning in bye thanks good night bye finally i'm finally free finally i'm finally me